0: Welcome to the Intentional Leaders podcast. This is episode 79, my top 10 leadership practices list. Welcome to Intentional Leaders. This podcast is not just for leaders, rather for anyone who wants to make an impact on the world, professionally or personally. My passion and purpose is to provide tips, tools, and resources that I've learned throughout my career, working with large and small organizations, profit and non, and also as an entrepreneur. I've had the joy to teach thousands of individuals who, like you, are trying to navigate this crazy and complex world. So here's to doing that successfully and intentionally. Well, I just got off the phone with a potential new client And this organization and these leaders were asking me to get involved in a conflict situation between a couple employees that they really wanted to retain, and they wanted to get some coaching, some skill development, and some conflict resolution. And of course, I was thrilled. And I asked them, what did they want from me? And the president of the company said, I want you to get out your magic wand, and I want you to transform these two people so they get along. And we all had a great chuckle because I thought, where is my magic wand? And yes, wouldn't it be awesome if I could do that? And then we had a good laugh. And then I thought, okay, (laughs) really, what do you need and want from me? And we had a great discussion. But you know what? I thought about that. And I thought about a magic wand. And I thought about magical powers. It took me back to when I first started managing people, which was over 30 years ago. And what I would have wanted at that time was someone to give me some magic. But the magic would be, what are some of the most important leadership practices that I could learn so I could avoid some mistakes along the way? Because I think I've shared in some of these podcasts that only about 10% of new managers feel like they're qualified and trained and prepared to lead, which results in about 67% of them not liking management. And of course you don't like management if you don't feel like you're prepared or ready to do it. Even though I thought I was ready when I first started managing people, it was a lot harder than I thought. So I've been thinking a lot about leadership practices. And if I had to boil down over the last 30 years, what would be my top 10 list? I chose 10 things that I feel like have been most instrumental, not only to my success, but of leaders that I've worked with and the things that either help them to succeed or could derail them in their leadership effectiveness and in their leadership career. So I'm going to, over the next podcast episodes, share my top 10 list with you. This is what I wish people would have told me. My disclaimer in this is that these are not in any particular order. They're just 10, but they're not ordered in priority fashion. Number one is about goals and expectations and the importance of those. Number two is about self-management and self-awareness. Number three is accountability. Number four is the importance of your mindset Number five, which I've talked a lot about on these podcasts, is about assertiveness. Number six is the ability to give effective feedback. Seven is what it takes to lead collaboration. Number eight is about problem solving and decision making collaboratively. Number nine is about how cognitive biases affect us. And number 10 is about continuous learning and growth. Those, my friends, are my top 10 leadership practices that I'm going to share with you. The importance of each of these 10 and how they either helped me and others to be more successful or when they weren't in place strong enough and they had a negative effect on ultimately what we all want, which is to have credibility, to have impact, and to get results. Let's start with goals and expectations. Some of the research suggests that lack of clear goals and expectation result in almost half of performance problems. Imagine that. Something that we can control affects the results we want. And while many organizations do have cascading goals, sometimes they're not clear enough or comprehensive enough to really drive engagement or performance. Setting goals and expectations definitely is an art. And it's a science. And there's some principles to follow to motivate and engage and make sure that performance is where we need it to be. Knowing these principles from Locke and Latham, which are the two gentlemen who researched this many years ago, are great to understand. One is clarity. They need to be specific enough to drive actions two, they also need to be challenging. What's interesting about it is sometimes people think that goals that are too complex, or that are too difficult will be unmotivating. And in fact, it's just the opposite. I mean, think about this dorky example. Let's say I told you to go run around whatever building you're in right now. And you came back and you said, Hey, it took me four minutes. And I'm like, Okay, excellent. Good job. I want you to go out and run around the building because the last person who did it ran it in three and a half minutes. And you'd be like, whoa, that last person. And (laughs) so is there a little bit of a stretch there? Yes. Could you cut off 30 seconds of your time? I don't know. And you don't know, but you don't know until you try. And so challenging goals tend to motivate us. What's interesting about that is that little bit of stretch really makes us think about how will i do that differently like what if i run the opposite way would that be to my advantage? What if I changed my shoes? Would that help me? And we start thinking more creatively about how to achieve that stretch goal. There is a sweet spot, though. When it gets too hard, and when we feel like, "Oh my gosh, it's impossible." If I said, "Hey, go out and run that in one minute," you'd be like, "Uh, no, thank you very much," because that's way too big of a shift between what we did initially and what I'm asking you to try to do. So. This There's definitely a sweet spot in goal setting and you want to find what that is. It helps people be more engaged and motivated to accomplish it and it gets their creative juices flowing. Number three is commitment around goals, meaning we have to have discussion and buy-in and a dialogue to shape those with the employees that we're working with. Number four is providing feedback, meaning we're giving regular, ongoing feedback on progress towards the goals and also that reinforcement on what has been achieved so far. And number five is about task complexity, creating goals around things that are actually challenging to us. Locke and Latham's goal-setting principles are clarity, challenge, commitment, feedback, and task complexity. When you integrate all those principles in a collaborative way, you're going to have a much more effective goal or expectation set. But I also want to differentiate on the difference between goals and expectations. Because again, I'll go back to the days when I was first managing people, they had sales goals. And I remember someone on the team was awesome at achieving her goals. She did a great job. But what I also want her to do was to be collaborative and be a good teammate to other people on the team. What I realized is I didn't have an expectation set about that. So what I came to realize is that, yes, goals are important and they need to be all those things clear and challenging and provide feedback, but expectations or the how I want people to achieve the goal is also really important to be clear, specific, and provide feedback on. And that was a big lesson learned to me, that there's a difference between those two things. So even if your organization has goals, make sure that you're also setting great expectations for your employees on the how. How do you want them to achieve those goals and making sure both are balanced? Leadership practice number one, establish clear goals and expectations. It is the foundation of effective performance. The second practice is about self-management, which definitely connects to self-awareness. And managing composure is critical to building credibility. Self-management is a key element of emotional intelligence. I wish I would have known how to recognize my emotions years ago, to feel them and understand them, and more importantly, to manage them. When I think about the importance of self-management, one of my lessons learned was again, Earlier in my career, I had a boss and we were at odds about a goal that we had. And I remember vividly sitting down with him and his boss. So it was me, my boss and my boss's boss. And we were talking about this goal. And I was mad about it because I felt like the goal wasn't appropriate for our team. It felt very salesy and we were in the relationship business and I thought we are pushing a product. We are not creating strong relationships by having this particular goal. And rather than recognizing that I was really mad about that, I couldn't articulate it well. And my emotions escalated in this meeting and I ended up insulting my boss. I said something that was really inappropriate that not only offended my boss, but my boss's boss, which, never is a great idea to do. And immediately I wanted to take back my words. But what I didn't realize was that I wasn't really thinking through why was I so upset and how did I manage those emotions even in advance of that meeting to be able to articulate what was upsetting and why so I could have handled that with much more professionalism and much deeper and better respect. And I will always regret that point in time where I offended my boss. And Jamie, if you're listening to this, it was you and I am so sorry about that. I learned a big important lesson about self-management and the importance of that. And I bet most of you can think about those situations with people that you've worked with, or maybe it's been you. I think of the recent incident with Will Smith where a career was changed because of a lack of ability to self-manage and maintain composure. That one moment in time was a pivotal change in this individual's legacy and in their brand. A very big lesson learned. We'll talk next about practice number three, which is about accountability. And again, this is something I've talked about in past episodes, because I know most people that I work with and most organizations that I've worked with over the last few decades have wanted more of it. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, oh, accountability, who cares, whatever. Most people want it and want more of it. The challenge is that most people start with wanting more accountability and thinking accountability means that I can hold people accountable for not following through on what they were supposed to do. And do you notice that mindset is pretty negative? It's really about being able to point blame. When something doesn't go well. That is not what accountability is all about. Accountability is really about being answerable to an outcome and being willing to reflect on decisions and actions about performance. It means acknowledging successes and shortfalls. But we don't start with accountability. What we have to start with is clear responsibility responsibility comes first. That means that we have gained someone's commitment to a task or a project or to something that we want them to do, which is circling back to why number one is so important that we're clear on our goals and expectations and that we get that buy-in, that they are agreeing to that responsibility Only then, when we have clarity around responsibility and commitment to a task, that we can ultimately hold someone accountable on the back end to that outcome and being answerable to that outcome. That's a big lesson learned for me because, again, so many people I work with don't understand responsibility comes first. It's a process and it's a practice. Then give people ownership, then hold them accountable. And those things all work together. Practice number four is about mindset. In college, I got my degree in education and it was in rehabilitation counseling psychology. I took a lot of classes about human behavior and human performance. I learned a lot about behaviorism. Interestingly, the first training programs that I was actually certified in professionally had a strong orientation to behavior modification, and I designed and facilitated these programs for almost 15 years, meaning learn a new behavior, practice it, find success, and then your mindset will shift once you get to better positive results. And I followed this theory and practice for a long time while also realizing that some individuals didn't magically change and they didn't want to change and they couldn't sustain the change. Enter the power of mindset. What I have come to realize is that our cognitive beliefs and thoughts drive our behaviors and actions. And so to fundamentally change our behaviors and sustain that behavior change, we have to examine our minds. Our mind and our thoughts create our emotions, which create our actions. Those are the outcomes of our thoughts. And this has been a very profound shift in my thinking, but also a shift in understanding how leaders can be more effective in leading and sustaining change. And here's an example of that. I can teach the skill of giving feedback. I can help people recognize how to do it more effectively. I can help them understand that stating intentions to the other person will be helpful, to be specific about behaviors, to include outcomes, and to have a dialogue about the feedback. I can help people to develop those skills and create a solid practice about feedback. With that said, if someone doesn't believe that they have the authority Or the right to give someone else feedback, maybe feedback to a peer or heaven forbid their boss. Well, then that mindset is going to get in the way of the behavior change. I can give them the behaviors, but if they don't believe that it's appropriate and they don't believe that they have the power, then those beliefs are incongruent with the behavior that I'm trying to teach them. I have to tackle that mindset that they have the right to be. A coach to others. They have the right to partner and provide their insights. I have to help people change their mindset in order for them to really embrace the learning of the behaviors and the skill set to change. And I think for all of us as leaders or managers or people who want to influence outcomes, we have to know what is in people's heads. What are they thinking about? What do they believe? What are their truths that are affecting their actions and their decisions? And until we know some of those things, it is going to be difficult for us to help people change and to grow and develop. And that was a big fundamental shift for me in my leadership practices and how I started coaching and mentoring people. And it's made a huge difference for the positive. All right. So that's enough for one episode, right? We got through four of the 10, more to come. We talked about the importance of goals and expectations being clear and also differentiating between the two in terms of the performance you want. The importance of self-management, which ties, of course, to self-awareness and maintaining composure. We also talked about accountability and that accountability starts With responsibility first, being clear about what we're asking people to do. And then mindset. If you want people to change their behaviors and you want them to sustain change, you got to dig deeper into their thoughts and their beliefs and the things that are philosophically important to them and how they may be similar or they may be very different from what you're thinking. Get there first and then help them to shift. Their behaviors and practices. I hope you're finding these leadership practices helpful for you, regardless of the position that you're in. And maybe you're thinking of times in your career or people around you where they have been either successful in these approaches, or maybe you've identified some pitfalls that others have fallen into as well. More of these leadership practices next time, because quite frankly, I wish I would have known these a bunch of years ago. It would have saved me a lot of stress and it would have given me much more clarity, focus, and confidence as a leader. And that is, of course, what I always want for you. Don't miss a single episode of the Intentional Leaders Podcast. Subscribe now. And because sharing is caring, send it to a friend.